0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to Thursday's edition of the programme on the 15th of November 2018. And thank you uh, to people who've been sent again. Congratulations. Yes, it is 28 years ago today uh, since, I first behind, since I first sat behind this microphone to present this programme. I'd been involved uh, in radio in Tipperary before that, going back into the pirate uh, days. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, 19, 15th of November 1990. And it, I have to say it has gone in the blue of an eye. 28 years my goodness. It is uh, a lifetime ago and I've enjoyed every single moment of it and for how long more it continues I don't know uh, but uh, please God I'll continue to enjoy it and while I continue to enjoy it I can, I'll, 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 I'll turn up here every morning Monday to Friday uh, and hopefully I'll keep you uh, entertained and uh, keep you with me. So thank you to people who've taken time out to note that it is the 28th anniversary of the show of me presenting the show today. I really do appreciate it. Today really is all about Brexit. If you're reading any of the newspapers uh, today, Theresa May managed to get the deal past her cabinet yesterday. She's won the battle but by God is has her war now really began. We're going to be discussing on the programme today and trying to find out is it the best deal that Ireland could have uh, hoped for? I mean obviously the big one for Ireland was the border. Leo Varadkar saying that now they've been, we've been guaranteed a soft border. That soft border was cast iron. Uh, it's even stronger, according to Leo Varadkar, than it was back the agreement that was signed in uh, December. The common travel area, that's something, obviously, again, that people were very concerned because that allows Irish people to travel freely back and forth in uh, Britain. And that has been preserved. And, and I was also reading a piece about the citizens, which uh, will affect um, people from the United Kingdom who live here in this country and people from Ireland who live in the United Kingdom and, and work there. Uh, or their future does look like it's been preserved in this deal. But the vote in Westminster, that's what will decide whether Theresa May's negotiating tactics have worked. Listen listened to her last night when she came out outside the door of 10 Downing Street and spoke without notes. I was quite impressed uh, with her. She says that the deal was the best that could be negotiated, adding that it was a, des- um, a decisive step which allows us in the United Kingdom uh, to move on and finalise the deal in the days ahead but it is the days ahead I think that most people will worry about will she be able to get this past the Parliament uh, in London only time will tell she's already two of her cabinet have already resigned this morning it'll be interesting, Interest, I will be interested to see how many more uh, will follow suit. Michael by WhatsApp said, Patricia, this morning the cry we hear coming from the ever unsettled British people is back May or sack May. But they don't have many choices to replace her if they do sack her. It could take up to three months to elect a new le- leader and hence tear up Article 50. Then they would be in some more severe turmoil. Never in my lifetime have I seen British politics in such disarray and I've seen a few bumps along the road. I have to congratulate Michael Barnier's team, assisted by Leo Varadkar's team, headed by Simon Coveney and Helen McAteer, who did this country proud. They're a credit to the nation. Theresa May has to be respected for her tenacity to get where she is on her commitment to Ireland, the broader and upholding the Good Friday Agreement. I sincerely hope that sense prevails in Westminster and that they listen to their Prime Minister, uh, says Michael at, in Castanabe. Thank you for that, Michael. I thought the other person that I was kind of very impressed with yesterday was Tony Blair. He gave, I thought, a very measured speech. I mean, the guy is a great public speaker anyway. And he sort of, he has that kind of voice that commands you to listen to him. And I think, you know, the way he spoke yesterday when he said this was not what the people of the United Kingdom signed up for. This was not what they voted on. And he's very much of the opinion that they need a second referendum. Now, he's not on his own. There are many others calling for that as well. Will that happen? I don't know. But certainly while this deal uh, does appear to be a good deal for Ireland, uh, it certainly isn't done and dusted. And there's there's a long rocky road ahead Certainly for the English Prime Minister and uh, for the British uh, people, uh, we will await with very, very keen interest because obviously it has ramifications and implications for us here in this country. We're going to be speaking with the Minister for Agri- Agriculture, Michael Crete. Michael has made himself available to us uh, this morning to give us his view and to give us the government's view and to kind of tease out, is this the best that Ireland could have hoped uh, for um, the Guardi will soon be able to uh, detect uninsured drivers. Now, I mentioned this uh, yesterday. This is a new handheld device at the guard from what I can gather they'll have it up and running by the start of the new year so if you get stopped by the Shia corner, they will have this handheld device and they will be able to scan your car registration number in and it would instantly tell them if you have insurance on the car or not we have a problem and have had for quite some time a problem of uninsured drivers driving on our roads and the implications of so many uninsured drivers is for all of us other drivers who pay our insurance and who cl- complain every year when our car insurance premium goes up one reason that we pay a higher car insurance premium is because of those uninsured drivers so if there could be a clamp down and we reduced the number of uninsured drivers on our road the knock on will be that all drivers should see a reduction in their premium and that ties in uh, also with the news that some insurance companies are coming out and saying to people if you install a dash cam in your car you will get a reduction on your insurance. So anything that can see us pay less for our car insurance has to be welcomed and we'll talk more about it uh, on the programme this morning. A young Middleton man shares his battle with depression and anxiety that actually at one point in time led to a um, suicide attempt. Very, very brave young man. He's only in his, his late 20s. will share his story in the hope, I think, that he can get through to other young people young men I think young men find it very difficult to talk about their feelings but there are I don't think ever before have we had a generation who are aware of their mental health, which I think is fantastic. There is an awareness amongst young people uh, when they suffer from anxiety, when they suffer from depression. That certainly wasn't there many generations ago. People didn't talk about their feelings. I think there still is a problem with young men trying to talk about their feelings. So it has to be welcomed when any young person is brave enough to come out and put his hand up and say, yeah, I was there. I was in that very, very dark place But look at me now, I've come out the other side. So we'll speak with him uh, later on. Member for Garda Corner will join us for this week's Crime File. Um, And we will also have your pet questions answered a little bit later on when Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us in studio. And I'm just getting news in uh, and we'll speak with John Hannan from Mallow, who has spoken with us many, many times over. Certainly is it over 10 years now I've been chatting with uh, John Hannan. He got uh, diagnosed with a condition called Alpha 1. It's a genetic form of emphysema. And he has been on this fantastic drug, respresia but there has been so much debate and argument going on about the makers of respresia John was part of a clinical trial that proved Rasprecia uh, keeps people with genetic emphysema alive. And when the trial ended, the drug company then, ready to roll out this drug, went to the HSE and said, OK, now you've got to pay it. And we got into this battle. This battle of how much is a drug wor- worth, which to me smacks of how much does a is a does a life how much is a life you can't put a price on a person's uh, life. John and other uh, people who have Alpha One have been fighting the system. But I can tell you there's a bit of good news uh, coming out uh, on that story today and we'll find out more about that a little bit later on when John uh, Hannon joins us. 1850 333 103 and a quick mention to Heidi who has sent in a WhatsApp about fuel prices and picking up on a piece that's making the news in France. Heidi says, Patricia, fuel prices still have not come down in this country and France, the French people, are going to protest about the price of fuel the French are great aren't they? They're really great to get out and protest. Anyway, they're going out and protesting on November 17th which is uh, Friday, uh, two days time. Big protest, they'll block roads. It's going to show the, it's going to, sorry, the 17th is Saturday. (laughs) Uh, It is two days time but that's Saturday, I'm thinking today is Wednesday. They're going to have a big protest, they're going to block roads etc. It goes to show that the French won't sit on their hands when they don't like what's happening. They take to the street they get out there and they protest we should take note here when our government doesn't listen to us especially in rural areas on our concerns and she sent me on a link from Euro News which is saying could fuel prices leave Macron's government in crisis and motorists in France and in Belgium are hoping to bring their countries to a standstill with uh, these uh, protests should we get out and protest about the, the the price of fuel and of course the reason that our fuel price is so high while it slightly gets, it comes down when the price of the barrel of oil comes down, and it suddenly goes up when the price of the barrel of oil goes up. But the reason we pay much for our fuel prices is so much of it goes in taxation directly to the government. This is the Court Today replay on C103 and the latest on uh, Brexit is the British uh, Work and Pensions Secretary Esther McVeigh has resigned and uh, I'm also told with all the news coming from Brexit this morning that the British pound has fallen sharply as political turmoil hits uh, Theresa May's uh, draft Brexit deal because yesterday uh, the, the British pound, the pound sterling was fluctuating, it was going up and down and up and down and it actually uh, went to kind of a high that it hadn't been at since uh, Brexit but now it is plummeted again this morning. Anyway, we will get to that in a couple of moments. But I want to go back to yesterday because hundreds of women protested both in Dublin and in Cork over controversial comments during a rape trial actually that happened here in Cork about the fact that the teenage complainant was wearing a lace thong. There was a protest held yesterday outside the Cork courthouse where women actually draped underwear on the court steps and the railings. I'm told almost 400 women turned out on a very wet and a dreary uh, Wednesday lunchtime to protest at the courthouse and they marched from Patrick Street in the city centre to the courthouse. Now Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, went along to the protest uh, yesterday and she spoke to some of those attending.
3: (coughs)
4: That business, disgusting. I kind of feel here we go again. I mean, I'm working in the sentence since 1983. Over the years where I would have seen clothes <laughs> held up in court, where I would have seen all that kind of stuff happening, and it hasn't happened in quite a long time. The defence barrister would always try and um, deflate a witness, deflate a woman, kind of discredit her in whatever way they can. But it's not quite common now for underwear to be brought along. But you'd find jury members maybe haven't come across sexual violence before, and that's why they're chosen. Um, and if somebody comes up with some kind of rubbish, like um, you have to think that this girl is consented because you wore fully underwear, juries I think do take that seriously. And I think if they really want an honest view of what happens in rape cases, or what happens to a rape victim, they should get a specialist stuff in court to say is it true that it takes people years before they report? Is it true that underwear kind of means they're consented? And know in this case there was even a comment that maybe the girl was interested in being sexually active so what if she was so what if she was i mean people go to discos all the time they might want to get off with someone that night so what that's their own business but does not excuse rape and i'm just annoyed and angry with her because this is a senior barrister around a long time and she knows better and the other thing i'm sick of hearing is kind of less do more training they're not thick you know, they're not like little teenage girls or boys who don't understand the rules. They know exactly what they're saying. And it's about ground rules and it's about respect and it's about guidelines. They know exactly what they're saying. just
3: think it's a disgrace the way it's been handled and showing her knickers and things like that. And what person in their right mind would report a rape in Ireland today to go through all that?
1: There's just not enough done about it in Ireland. Like There's yeah. so many cases that come up and it just fiddles away. And nothing says, and No one says anything or nothing's done, so... Two young women. Like, do you think that, you know, what you wear should be brought up in court like that? If you're were... absolutely not, it's ridiculous. Like, it's 2018, and like that stuff shouldn't go on anymore. It's, t- it's gone on for too long. I think
5: it's absolutely ridiculous that someone's underwear can be shown in court as proof of consent. Like, I've experienced in this department totally, and I just, I can't imagine. So, a victim going to court after it's taking, it takes two or three years for a victim to be brought to court. So they have to wait at that much time to bring their. <clears throat> bring that person to justice and then they, it's seen as, as okay to bring their underwear up in court when they are so bravely have come to court to, to fight the, per, the person that has hurt them Well I think at this day and age it's
1: ridiculous to think that a thong which is worn under someone's clothing is an open sign of consent It's not a legal argument, it's a rape myth and rape myths are known to bias juries Every other country has different judicial systems that they brought in since the 70s to help protect victims Clothing chosen calls rape rapists do When you're a young woman, you know, I mean, when you're getting ready to go out, does this ever enter your head? You know, I'm putting on a tongue. Oh, my God. I'm asking for it. I mean, it used isn't. But when I was 16, unfortunately, I myself was a victim. And I remember going through my head, like, was the jeans I was wearing, they had rips in them. Was I showing too much leg? My underwear was curly. Was that the problem? Was it because I got drunk? And I'm lucky. I was only assaulted. But I know dozens of people who have been raped violently or otherwise. And they've never gone to the police because they said that they were drunk or that they knew the person or they were wearing the wrong clothes. And that shouldn't be a reason to not report. That shouldn't be a reason why it's okay to hurt people.
2: Well, wow, some very powerful uh, statements made there, and thanks to Fiona Corcoran who attended that protest uh, yesterday. As I say, about four hundred uh, women turned up and staged that protest, where well, they started in Patrick Street and ended up down at the uh, courthouse. Uh, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three Brexit is up for discussion next on the program. Carol says, will Leo and Simon stop the spin and how good this Brexit deal is? It will not happen. I was listening to English Radio this morning. Most of the UK politicians are against this deal it will not pa- pass uh, they say it'll be gone by Christmas says Kara. Uh, so all we can do is hope that it will pass uh, John In but yeah, yeah you're right I, I couldn't certainly last night when I was after the Theresa May made her speech And I was online then for most of the evening. I I was trying to find anybody in the United Kingdom that was saying, yeah, this is a great deal and we'll all move forward from this and everyone will be happy uh, ever after. Um, Thank you, Carol. John in Clannock-Kilty says on on, uh, United Kingdom leaving the EU and Brexit, a lot of Theresa May's cabinet resignations on the draft agreement put to them. Oh, a lot of the cabinet resignations are now coming through. Uh, It seems a general election in the United Kingdom that's what's on the cards rather than a Brexit deal. Now the British Prime Minister Theresa May says her cabinet acted in the national interest by giving its support to a draft Brexit agreement but the decision wasn't unanimous with the 585 page document causing some impassionate debate among ministers. The next step includes a summit in Brussels which is due at the end of the month where EU leaders will be asked to approve it and of course the all-important vote in the House of Commons. Theresa May says she knows there will be rough days to come to get the re- reaction of the irish government i'm joined by the minister for agriculture michael creed uh, good morning to you minister creed
6: good morning uh,
2: and and you're welcome it's been hailed as a soft brexit from an irish point of view is this a good deal for this country
6: yes i think it is uh, a deal that meets all of our concerns that were flagged uh, very early on in the debate but it is not the end of the process and i think that's really important to remember the uk is leaving and what this is this uh, withdrawal agreement is the first part of that process it's the safety net in the event that we do not manage to negotiate during the transition period which commences the transition period at the end of march 2019 and runs until the end of december 2020. that safety net, that withdrawal agreement uh, will kick in unless and until in that intervening transition period we fail to negotiate the future trading relationship. So our concerns in the context of those negotiations around the withdrawal agreement were what were articulated last December. They were around the Good Friday Agreement. They were around protecting the common travel area that we have enjoyed with the UK since the foundation of the state. They were about protecting the Irish economic interests, about maintaining our position at the heart of Europe, albeit closely aligned to the UK for several hundred years in a shared history, we see ourselves remaining at the heart of Europe. And I think in the context of those concerns, what was negotiated in difficult circumstances and during which and through which we got remarkable solidarity from the European Union meets all of our primary concerns.
2: Because it's fair to say, I mean, there's no such thing as a good Brexit. And I even saw the International Monetary Fund saying a no-deal Brexit would hurt growth prospects in Ireland more than any other country.
6: Undoubtedly true. I mean, we will be now focused on the future trading relationship. And from an, as an agriculture minister with responsibility for the food industry and the fisheries sector... Um, with 40% of our exports going to the UK in that space, uh, that's critical that we have as close as possible a trading relationship, but bear in mind, as the UK has a stated intention of leaving the customs union and leaving the single market, that future trading relationship cannot be as good as the relationship that we currently have. So yes, I mean, it is in many respects a damage limitation exercise. We have fundamental objectives about protecting the Good Friday Agreement, uh, the peace process, the no hard border, which is critical to all that, the common travel area. But in terms of our economic interests, uh, the closest possible trading relationship to be negotiated during the transition period will not regrettably be as good as the relationship that we have with the UK when the UK is a member of the European Union.
2: Yeah, and I, by the time I came in here, there have been three resignations uh, coming out from uh, London, including the UK Brexit secretary. I mean, this is very much not a, do, a done deal. Have you any confidence that Theresa May will get this through Parliament?
6: Well, I. I being honest, Patricia, and I think the number is at four now, in fact. Is it? I'm literally watching the ticker tape on, 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 on BBC as Theresa May is on her feet in the House of Commons at the moment, and I think we have four uh, Cabinet resignations. We really need to remain focused on the issues that are within our control. We negotiated through the European Union with the sovereign government of the United Kingdom. We engaged as an Irish government... In conversations, obviously with the UK, I did with my counterparts in the UK. At one stage, it was Andrea Leadsom; more recently, it has been Michael Gove. Uh, but the negotiations are prosecuted for us in the detail by Michel Barnier, engaged with the UK negotiators, Ali Robbins would be their lead negotiator. Um, we really can't control what happens now in the House of Commons. It's it's a great. You know, for those who are interested in in the Machiavellian nature of politics, it's it's a fascinating watch, but we have to remain focused on the things that we can control ourselves. Um, You know, we we welcome the fact that that yesterday the Cabinet approved it in the United Kingdom. We're conscious, you know, the next step is the formal uh, heads of state meeting to approve it, and then it goes to respective individual parliaments, and that's expected here in the Dal. Uh, after that uh, heads of state meeting in the 25th of November, and subsequently also in, uh, to that meeting in the House of Commons uh, for approval. I don't really know. I obviously, uh, you know, follow with some interest the the mathematics of the House of Commons, but that's really an issue for them. We need to make, remain really focused on what our strategic interests are. Um, and And, you know, I, I, I obviously, you know, watch with interest the, the detail of what's happening in the UK, but. It's something we have no control over.
2: Yeah I can see some people that are are texting in about is there a possibility that there will be a second referendum in in England and I I listened with interest to Tony Blair uh, last night who I felt gave a very measured reaction uh, in in a speech in in London where he was citing a second referendum and he was saying like it's Brexit in name but tied still to Europe in reality. He said you know there will be disappointment on both sides. He said whatever the people voted for they didn't vote for this and went on then to Say that it should be put back uh, to to the people are, are you getting any sense that that would happen
6: well i i and i I can understand the public interest in this, but i I equally know that kind of external interference and commentary uh, particularly by political players outside of the u k is not really welcome or appropriate in a very fraught political uh, context that the UK uh, is in now and that the Westminster is in. So I've heard all of that debate about, you know, uh, a people's vote, a vote on uh, the deal or a vote on, uh, you know, going back to the principal issue of in or out. I really don't think that's something for for I or the Irish government to to comment on. It may even be counterproductive to so do. You will have noticed yesterday there was virtual radio silence from here until some Mm. time as the UK government made a decision. And that was, you know, a deliberate uh, endeavor to make sure that we weren't seen in any way to be attempting to influence um, or indeed to potentially jeopardize the considerations in the UK. And neither do I think commentary Uh, in the public uh, airways by me would be appropriate on on the issue of a referendum, though I know that that's something that's strongly advocated by some.
2: Okay, while London is still very much the battleground, is it possible someone in the EU could have an issue?
6: Well, I mean, of course, of course. um, I mean, there are consequences for the UK departure for all 27, though the Commission has rightly identified that none... Uh, is more exposed to the UK's departure than Ireland is and and the Irish economy is. But, I mean, I've engaged bilaterally with all of my counterparts across Europe, and to a greater or lesser extent, uh, they all have skin in the game, so to speak. So everybody will be poring over the 500-plus pages of this document, and let me tell you, it's pretty turgid reading, um, and... You know, people jumping, I mean, uh, to conclusions about a document that, if we are to be honest, most people haven't at this stage read. And as I said, it's a complex read because it keeps referencing to annexes and to EU directives. Mm. You know... It certainly isn't
2: light reading, that's for sure.
6: It's not on the bedside locker, anyway. (laughs) Um, You know, like, I, I think what people need now is calm and reflection and detailed consideration. I think it's a good agreement as it relates uh, to the objectives we set ourselves but i'm very conscious of the fact that in terms of our economic interest having nailed down the commitments here on the hard border etc uh, not reemerging on the peace process really the next phase is the critical one in terms of the future trading relationship
4: mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, we it's it's over to Theresa May. Has she's, she's may have won the battle, but she's got the war now uh, to try to win. Okay, we leave it there, uh, Michael. Thank you for that, uh,
6: Patricia, and thank you, and thank you, and congratulations on your twenty eight years on the airwaves. It's been a great uh, privilege uh, to be on occasions a part of the show, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of the wider listeners uh, to thank you for your. Uh, engagement and on, on issues of interest uh, over all those years. You
2: are very kind. Thank you for that. Thank, Thank you. you Bye-bye. That is the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed. And just on Brexit, a texter says, the worst outcome is leaving the EU. This is for the United Kingdom. I'm hoping for another referendum, which would include the votes of all British citizens living in EU countries. The EU, the UK leaving the EU is totally crazy. Unless, of course, they allowed uh, people, countries to vote country by country for example Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales and allow them to stay pending on their result. Uh, only time will tell whether there, whether there will be another uh, second referendum. Certainly, while Theresa May is at the helm, she's adamant that there won't be, um, it won't be put to the people again. Okay, let's move on because Gaidhi will be able to use handheld devices to instantly tell whether a vehicle is insured as a new hot list of rogue drivers will be rolled out by the end of the year. Welcome in the news, the AA. And joining me from the AA, Barry Aldworth. Uh, good morning to you, Barry.
5: Good morning, Patricia. No, How are you?
2: I'm very well. Your organisation has been calling for this for quite some time. I've had, over the years, numerous um, uh, interviews with uh, your counterpart, uh, Connor Falkland. This has got, this is long overdue, isn't it?
5: Absolutely. I mean, this is something that, you know, has been the case in other jurisdictions, other countries for a long time now. It's You know, there's similar things in operation in the UK, even in Northern Ireland, And Ireland made an attempt at doing it with the installation of ANPR cameras in some guarded cars, but never really rode in fully behind it. So the Gardaí were left with quite an inefficient system that didn't work. It was giving more false alarms than positives. So to now turn around and, I suppose, without wanting to be a little condescending towards the Compton to finally... Give our guardy a twenty-first century solution. You, you can only welcome it as a, motor, as a motorist.
2: And that ANPR, its automatic number plate recognition, is uh, it? Uh, it seems bizarre that that isn't installed in every single car. The car.
5: So what the case is at the moment: the actual cameras exist, and they are in. I believe the majority, if not all, guard vehicles. The problem historically with it has been the database behind it just hasn't been up to scratch. So again, Guardi were finding when they tried to use it, more often than not they were getting a false flag for an insured vehicle or the information coming up about the vehicle wasn't correct in the first place. So it was it was a good idea, just not properly managed, so I think well I would hope that the lessons have been learned from that and this new development with the handheld device certainly welcome but let's make sure we get this one right.
2: And this is a handheld device where the members of a Garda the Guard of will scan a number plate uh, when they're due, when they pull a car over and then the number plate, it'll link into a new database of uninsured drivers that will tell them whether they have insurance um, or not. What is believed to be the number of uninsured drivers on our roads, Barry, or do we have a figure on that? So
5: such an exact figure on it but the, the kind of accepted estimate for right now is around 150,000 and what we've seen in the last couple of years that figure has kind of ticked up a little bit over the last two to three years in particular and ultimately a factor in that has been the rising costs of motor insurance that some people have found themselves in a situation where they just cannot afford to cover the cost or decide because of the absence of guardy or the difficulty guardy have had in policing uninsured driving some people have started to think, you know what, maybe I'll take my chances without insurance. So at the moment, we estimate about 150000 could be higher, could be lower.
2: That's a lot. And of course, you also have you know deliberate fraud going on because you've got improved printing technology. It's relatively easy, isn't it, to make a fake insurance disc?
5: Absolutely. I think this is another bugbear of the A's, unfortunately, one which is going to hang around for another while at least. So if you look at the government's cost of insurance working group report, they have they have maintained the insurance disc and will do for the foreseeable future, but it, it's an outdated piece of technology. It worked fine in an era before modern printers. And right now, anyone could knock up a pretty convincing forgery, and up to now, we've only been giving Gardy a flashlight and asking them at the roadside at you know potentially nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night, in in pitch darkness, to identify whether this disc is real or not. Right now and moving forward, they will have this handheld device which makes that job a lot easier for them.
2: And this isn't a victimless crime. We all pay for uninsured drivers in our own car insurance premium.
5: Absolutely. It it adds on to everyone's insurance premium. So it's estimated that everyone's insurance premium goes up about €50 just to cover the cost of uninsured driving and the claims relating to uninsured drivers and incidents that have to be paid out. So even if you never have an encounter with an uninsured driver, you are still paying for other people's decisions to drive without insurance. And then if you find yourself in a situation where you, you know, have a hit and run or anything like that where an uninsured driver is involved, the costs can only go up further.
2: So when this is up and running and hopefully we'll see a decrease in the number of uninsured drivers, will that mean our insurance, our insurance premium will drop?
5: So it's tough to say, you know, we we will have to wait and see, I suppose, what the actual system works like and make sure that it is kind of fully functional and accurate. But again, as uninsured driving diminishes, that €50 at least should kind of, we would hope, start to drop as well. So as uninsured driving becomes more difficult to get away with, you would hope that incidents involving uninsured drivers would drop and that in line with that, even though we, we unfortunately can't see the future, you would hope that insurance premiums will follow suit.
2: And there was the story yesterday of AXA insurance offering, I think it was a 10% discount to drivers who install a dash cam. And, and seemingly they're not the first, there's another insurance company I think doing it as well. Is that a good idea?
5: It's 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 an idea, I, I would put it that way. I think ultimately what we know and why this idea hasn't really been rolled out on a wider scale, you tend to find that the kind of driver who is willing to install a dashcam or will put a dashcam in their car by and large tends to be a very safe driver anyway and they tend to really be conscious of their driving behavior. So I think what you'll find is the type of people who who avail of this discount and choose to fit a dashcam, you know, it may work for them but they would probably be a lower risk profile anyway and in line with that get a lower insurance quote but ultimately i think you know it's it's a positive for the consumer it gives it gives the consumer some potential another way to make a saving on their car insurance which we can all welcome so it's worth exploring i think you know, acts fairly to but, them
2: on doing also, this, but but also the, it could help with fraudulent cases, wouldn't it? I mean, people who get set up with a a crash, you know, somebody somebody breaking in front of somebody so that you rearrange them. And if you've got that in your dash cam, you could bring that to court, could you?
5: Yes, yeah, so I think that's where we could see a potential benefit on yeah. this. You know, we ha- we have seen a spike in incidents involving stage collisions, or you know, accidents being effectively reported despite the fact that nothing ever happened in the first place. Or like you mentioned, people jumping on brakes just to and just to cause an accident, anything like that. So having footage that will prove you know what happened and prove your version of events will certainly help you challenge any claim through the courts, and it will give, in the case of AXA doing this, it will give them a bit more power to choose, I suppose, with a better degree of accuracy which cases they challenge to the courts and which yeah, ones absolutely. they feel they can win.
2: And I actually read a recent study that was conducted in Britain where, they, where it showed that a quarter of all motorists uh, believe they drive better when they have a data cam installed in, in their car. So that has to be welcomed. OK, we leave it there, Barry. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us.
6: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Eleanor Wallace has been on to say, Patricia, would you say a huge thanks to the runners from all over North Cork who took part in the Mallow Run in the Dark last night? All of the wonderful men from Mallow Rugby Club, Red Cross, Civil Defence and Gardy. So proud of you all, says Eleanor Wallace. So each and everyone who took part in that run in the dark last night in Mallow, well done. Talking of Mallow, John. Hannon from Mallow back in 2002 was diagnosed with a condition called Alpha 1 it's a genetic form of emphysemia in 2006 John went on a clinical trial for a drug called respiresia a treatment uh, that utterly transformed his life for the last couple of years John and other Alpha 1 patients uh, 19 in total have been battling the HSE in order to get the drug funded by the HSE and I'm told that uh, John is on the program with uh, some good news uh, that come out of the blue. I didn't, I didn't realize that this was going to happen. But good morning to you, John.
3: Good morning, Patricia. And F- thanks for having me on. Well,
2: listen, our absolute <coughs> pleasure. I've lost count of the number of times we've had you on the program, going back from when you were first diagnosed, when we we'd never heard of Alpha One, and you were educating us all in what the condition was. Then the wonderful news was that this Resprisia, this cl- mm-hmm. this clinical trial there worked. You've got good news Uh
3: that. We, uh, we were told unofficially yesterday, now for the last week or two we were getting little bits of information here and there that negotiations were nearing a satisfactory conclusion and yesterday uh, we got notification through the foundation that um, the drug had been approved by the HSE for a reimbursement and that we would be on it uh, for life. Oh. So that's just, it's obviously, uh, at the minute now, it's just confined to the 19 patients who remain on it. Now, it's, it's the most wonderful day, as you can imagine, Patricia, Patricia uh, a little bit bittersweet, I suppose, in that we had to lose two wonderful friends of ours on, along the way. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, today has proven that their deaths haven't been in vain. And I've been speaking with both families and that is their view as well. So, uh, Yeah, and it, I know
2: it, both families, having <coughs> lost their, their loved ones, mm-hmm. they wanted that battle to continue.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, particularly the Kelly family from Tipperary. Uh, they have never given up the fight. Uh, uh, they have been every bit as active as I have, uh, Patricia, you know, and they have done a lot of work with me. And uh, I, I, as, as I'm on the air now, I would like to wish their dad, uh, Ned, uh, well. He actually got a stroke, would you believe, last Friday. Oh, bless. And he's in Galway Regional Hospital, but I believe he's well. I was Good. speaking with Neve this morning. But, um, Patricia, there are so many people I would like to thank today. You, best of all, you have followed my track since 2002, I think, Patricia, and then I did the Miz and Tamalin horse ride in I 2007. Remember it. Yeah. You followed that with me practically on a daily basis. And you have been with me throughout this fight, Patricia. And yourself and John Paul, I owe you a debt of gratitude
2: listen we did we did a very small amount in that we were we were privileged that we were able to facilitate um you coming into studio and you were always so good to come to studio and we we had some very emotional interviews along the way i mean it got very fraught at times and um your 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 passion to stay alive i think is is what what very much came came through on all of the interviews that i ever did did with you It couldn't happen to a nicer man and a nicer family i'm I am genuinely thrilled. This is the best news I can honestly say uh, for twenty eighteen and coming in the run up to christmas i mean it's just it's 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 wonderful it's just it's the best christmas present ever.
3: Well, it is, Patricia. It is, of course. And, I mean, we I, we didn't do this on our own, of course. There were politicians involved. Uh, John Brasel down in Kerry was uh, an immense help to us, as was Michael Haley Ray. And, indeed, our local politicians all put their shoulders at the wheel as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's like today, I suppose, when I was told yesterday, it hit me so fast. We weren't really expecting a notification yesterday. And uh, then to be told that we had to keep it kind of under cloaks for for until the HSE decided to let it go public. Um, but it's it's really today I'm feeling the release of the pressure off my shoulders yeah. because, like as you said there a while ago, I have a passion for life. Of course I do, and um, we only have one. So you protect the one you have, and it's like as if there's a death sentence has been removed from from your life. Uh, you know, because last... I
2: had been expecting to hear from you because I knew the clock was ticking mm-hmm. in that when we spoke in the summer, you were given until December uh, or until a new drug trial started. Right. And I was thinking that, you know, the timeline, you you were heading out to do battle again.
3: Well, we were. And I mean, the 18th of November is fast approaching. And that's the first anniversary of the first patient who died last year, Anna Cassidy from Donegal. So... Uh, maybe that had a significance in the HSE release in this information. Now, maybe they didn't want it to go to that first anniversary. I I don't know, Patricia. Yeah. But um, now we don't know the detail. Uh, I don't know if we'll have to go to Dublin to have it again or, you know, as I was doing for a number of years. Uh, but the, the, the main thing is that we have it now and that uh, it's guaranteed to us for life as far as we are told.
2: And and, um, and, and everybody's hope and wish that that is a long and, and a happy life.
3: Well, hopefully, Patricia. Uh, Again, uh, thanks a million to you and John Paul and everybody. I mean, it's been a humbling, it's been a a, a tough two years for me, Patricia, and the other patients. But the other patients feel the same as I do. It's been a very humbling period for us because even walking down the town of Mallow, which I do on a Thursday after my treatment, Patricia, there were people that I hardly knew walking up to me and wishing me well and saying they were praying for me. I remember about a year ago, a woman came running across from the church in the main street and she threw her arms around me. She said, Johnny Hannon, I pray for you every day. And she burst out crying. And I did the same, Patricia. And, you know, that's what it means to me. People have rallied around me for the last two and a half years, which I could not have foreseen in the, beforehand.
2: And I loved at one stage some of your former young... Uh, pupils that your riding school yeah. had w- went on Facebook. They use social media because, you know, young people know the power of social media and mm-hmm. I just thought, God, this is, this man has touched so many lives and he was young people that, you know, wanted to get behind you. You've, you've, there's, there's a huge outpouring of love out there uh, for you. You're, you're a lovely guy you, and you're a lovely family and your family have gone through uh, this with you and there was no need for it. There was just no need for it.
3: Well, I suppose one could look, I suppose we can never forgive the HSE for the the, the lives that are lost and the potential loss of life there could have been but hopefully the negotiations that we've been in within the HSE may have opened the door for other patients now there are 20 other patients with alpha 1 who really need to get on this drug sooner rather than later one of them who I referred to before living in Kildare is quite ill all the time and it breaks my heart to see him suffering when there is a drug there that he could be benefiting from. Well, hopefully you know, that I have, will be I the have next vowed step. To those patients, that I will continue my fight on their behalf, even though I have been looked after now.
2: Okay, all right. Um, and all right. Uh, Fran Stone says, please give uh, Johnny Hannan and all the your families huge congratulations. We will celebrate their gift of continued life best news of the year. And so say all of us, Fran. Uh, Johnny, uh, listen, thanks a million. We will talk again. I know oh, that. Okay. This, is, this will not be our last Great. conversation, but yes. heartiest congratulations. Well done. And
3: many thanks again,
2: Patricia. Well done. Thanks well, bye-bye, bye bye-bye. God, that is just such good news. I wasn't expecting that when I came to work uh, this morning that uh, Johnny Hannan from uh, Mallow and that news will be received by so many people with just such a sense of relief and gratitude. He's, he's a great guy um, and they've been all of those patients they've been you know they're unwell in the fact of what they are battling this genetic emphysemia, and to have to it's hard enough to battle a condition like that and to find a drug that absolutely transforms your life and gives you a chance at life and then to give it to you and take it away from you is just absolutely Absolutely heartless. So, whoever finally made the decision in the HSC, um, I I would I would shake your hand if I if I met you, sir or madam, whoever you are, uh, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Let me just take a look at some other uh, texts and calls uh, coming into us. We were talking about uninsured drivers in the last hour. Paul Drake in Glamwood says, Patricia, is it an uninsured car? Or is it an uninsured driver? And I spoke, I saw this text come in and while the news was on, I was talking to John Paul, who in a former life used to work in insurance and we were debating, is it an uninsured driver? Do you insure the car or do you insure the driver? And John Paul says, technically, it's both. I mean, you do take out the insurance on the car, but depending on the type of insurance you have, you might have open insurance, which means you can drive other cars. And then I was thinking, I remember when my son uh, first learned to drive, he was driving my car it was my car was insured in my name but he was a named driver so it was the car was insured for him to drive it you know what I mean? So I would say either are. I don't think there's a right or a wrong an uninsured car or an uninsured uh, driver and is there a name on this? There is. And this is on Brexit. Why and this is on the call for should there be a second referendum there's been, that's been spoken about for quite uh, some time across Europe and certainly across the United uh, King- Kingdom some people feel very strongly that there should be a second referendum, put it back to the people, ask the people again uh, this texter says, why should the people of England have a second vote uh, and do it to please the EU and the Irish government they have a lot to lose now I don't know who you mean the EU well certainly the Irish we have a lot uh, to lose because of uh, Brexit But but I think people in the United Kingdom are starting to realise how much they have to lose by leaving Brexit and by not getting the deal that they thought they were going to get and the promises that that they were told when they voted for Brexit and, and I'll once again quote from Tony Blair now I know you'll say oh, you can't quote Tony Blair because Tony Blair was was a remain, a remainer but I think he certainly had such a measured response uh, to the to the deal that is now on the table and he has came out and said it needs to go back to the people this wasn't what the people of the United Kingdom voted on he said I know it is said a new vote of the people will also divide but he said a reconsideration in the light of all that we now know, accepted by all, is the final word. Especially if accompanied by a new willingness on the part of Europe's leadership and Britain to deal with the reasons for the Brexit decision in the first place. He feels that is the only hope of unity into the future. Because what they now have is a very, very divided country. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And just a lot. Lovely texting to say the very best of luck to Johnny Hannon from Mallow and Good Health. Great news, thank God.
7: C103 Jobs
6: with Jobs Expo Cork. Coming to Parky on November 17th. Your bright new career begins here. Register at jobsexpo.ie
2: Skibbering Credit Union, they have vacancies for a member services officer and a clerical officer, while Delhi assistants are required for Fuller's Centre Union Hall. Um, full and part time positions are available. And Hallmark Building Services in Mallow, they're looking for a skilled snagger. For work on a new housing estate. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
6: Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie.
2: C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, at the start of last year, my next guest, a young Corkman, decided to open up and share his struggles and battles with depression, anxiety and even a suicide attempt by giving a very honest interview that was published in the Evening Echo. Ross Williams from Middleton, who is 29, says he was overwhelmed by the reaction to the article and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Ross. Hi Patricia, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and and welcome to the programme. Um, Firstly, when you decided to share your story with the, the, why did you decide to share it with the Evening Echo back in? It was January of 2017. What prompted you to do that?
8: Um, I suppose seeing as I had, I suppose I kept it for so long to myself and um, I'd read a few other articles such as Brazy and Connor Cusack would have been the two main ones and they were really what helped me at the time and I thought um, and just from speaking a few people who I was surprised at that were suffering, something similar I said, um, it would just might help someone, and it did, because the reaction I got was phenomenal, and um, I was just so glad I did. But that was the main reason, was just to help even someone, even one person.
2: And did you not expect the reaction you got?
8: Not, no, not, not near as much as I got. I think I got something like 200, 300 messages wow. that week um, from as far as Canada, Australia, America... Um, obviously Irish people living abroad and stuff like that but everyone from like teenagers to uh, a, a man in his 80s who was living in America all suffering with some sort of depression or anxiety and I just never would have expected that or even people say from my hometown would have messaged me privately and told me people that I would have known but never would have known what they were going through and like And, that, and that's, what, that's what
2: people were sharing that yes I've been where you've been is that is that
8: Absolutely, yeah. It's like and people to different extents—not necessarily suicide or, but some sort of depression or anxiety—and then they're not knowing what it is and maybe hiding it and not telling family and friends and nearly feeling ashamed because. And I felt ashamed at the time um, because I didn't know what it was. I was never told in school what depression or anxiety was. Or um, something. I'm not ashamed. I'm proud of my story. I'm, Proud to try help as many people as they can.
2: Well done, well done. Let's let's share some of of your story. When did you start uh, to feel down? And have you any understanding of why you started to uh, feel no. so low? Uh,
8: this probably started when I was back in school, so maybe back as far as two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when I was on my leaving. So, but more so when I started going to college, which had been around two thousand nine. Um, I just didn't feel right, and I didn't know why. Um, And there was no real reason and that's the main thing as well with me I suppose I had no real reason not that you need a reason but I had no trauma you know um, you weren't being bullied
2: or exactly yeah
8: yeah. so there was no real reason it was just the way I was feeling Um, and I used to be crying a lot drinking too much Um, and then it just and then kept it to myself for years like my friends wouldn't know, my family wouldn't have known Um, I wouldn't have never have told anybody so then Probably after six, seven, eight years, I couldn't take it anymore basically because I was hiding it for so long.
2: Again, and you, would, you would. Ho- I didn't know what it was. So, when you would feel down, you would what? Withdraw and just not interact with people?
8: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, when I was renting a house in Cork, I wouldn't leave my room for, day, for at the weekends. I might leave the room for days. I'd go up to my room after work. I might leave till the next morning. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't talk um, because I was putting on such an act during the day. I'd go home and cry myself to sleep every night um, and and try sleep. I wouldn't sleep a lot of the time. I'd have panic attacks, anxiety.
2: Well, what what were my, the anxiety attacks like?
8: Oh, horrific, horrific. I didn't sleep for two or three years properly without, like, a full sleep. Um, and anxiety about worrying what people were thinking of me. Did someone spot today that I might have been crying or that I wasn't feeling well? Did someone spot that? would someone know, know my secrets? Because it was a secret. It was a huge secret.
2: And you no. you felt you could open up to no one?
8: No, because I've never, I'd have never, i never heard of anyone open up to me or to anyone. I didn't know anyone that I knew that had... I didn't, I didn't know what depression was. i never heard of it, really. Yeah. I didn't know why. And then I was kept telling myself this story in my head that you have everything. You have family, you have a job, you have friends. You know, you have everything. Why would you be sad or why are you crying? And beat myself up over it.
0: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
2: And then you lost your, your wonderful mum in 2013. How how did that affect you and how did you deal with that loss?
8: Um, yeah, like I, I would went to a lot of counselling and stuff and that would have always came up, but obviously it was a big part, but this was happening way before um, my mum ever died or was sick. So obviously it didn't help and it was... Loss, but it wasn't the re- wasn't the reason um, I was suffering with depression. But obviously, it didn't help, and I probably withdrew withdrew a bit more. Probably, if I started drinking, I would drink a bit more, um, and I still wasn't dealing with any problems. I didn't deal with that grief on top of my own issues, which probably started spoiling everything out of control. Then eventually,
2: and did you drink to try to block out the feelings?
8: Yeah, because like like I wasn't drinking every day, but it might be a Saturday night with friends. But I drink because you might feel okay for two hours, three hours. And that's the only time you might feel good for the week. But obviously, after a couple of hours, then you're back to the square one. The next day, it's worse. Than, um yeah, it was just it, was, it wasn't good for me.
2: Did did you also start taking tablets, prescription medication?
8: Yeah, so I would have went to my GP and like I'd be tablets didn't work for me, but I, I I'd be very slow to dismiss them because they obviously do work for some people and some people really need him. Yeah, and I, and I went to a GP and I suppose that's his job like he's not going to send me out the door and not give me tablets um, but I just found I was on so much I was like 24 or 5 years of age maybe on 12 tablets a day I think um,
2: like Antidepressants but, was it?
8: Yeah, yeah everything from like Xanax to sleeping tablets to like, um, learning kind of her bipolar personality, um, all started. And I just, they were horrible. I couldn't feel anything. Like, I was just, I couldn't sleep on them. I couldn't eat on them. I put on about 20 kgs, 25 kgs. Anyway. Yeah, just from yeah. kind of be bloated from the tablets, and well. again, they do work for some people. by hailing them, they just—I know, I know—working for me. But
2: but you taking the tablets is also putting a sticking plaster on. You're not dealing with
8: absolutely exactly yeah. like, and that's the one thing I was never asked—not really why it was just like you're sad or depressed. they're tablets. It was never and only for did they just stop taking them? I would still be on them because I know people that are. Have been on them for years, and they're hard to come off because you do you get addicted.
2: Highly addictive, absolutely, highly addictive. absolutely.
8: Like Xanax and stuff—they're—they're they're highly addictive. But as you
2: say, they—they they have a role, but you've got to be very careful that you don't end up uh, addicted to uh, to them. Take me to the night, uh, St. Patrick's night, 2015. Uh, Ross and talk me through what happened.
8: Yeah, so I suppose I would have went through like I explained to you the same cycle of you know going to work, tiny coming home, crying. Not leaving my room, so this was going on for ages. So Patrick stayed with a lot of my friends in a nightclub in Cork um, at around whatever twelve half twelve. Obviously, was after drinking, but I was obviously surrounded by hundreds of people and loud music, and I never felt so alone. I may have been in an, an empty room, I just I never felt anything like it. So I decided in that nightclub that I was going to kill myself when I got home. So I, will, I was in Douglas at the time, so I got a taxi out. I had a drawer full of tablets because. I think I was collecting prescriptions at either a month or two months at a time, Um, so I would have had a big stash of them. So I can't remember how many tablets there could have been—like 160 tablets, 80 tablets—I'm not sure. So I sat on the edge of my bed, texted my friends and family, just just saying sorry, and I couldn't cope with what I was going through anymore. They tried, and so took as many tablets as I could. And don't really remember much after that, only that I know two of my friends were still up because this was probably three in the morning, two in the morning. They drove over, t- got in the door, and I don't really remember much after that. But they told me they brought me to the hospital. Uh, I wasn't breathing with the I got to the hospital, or not really breathing, anyway, because it, it was put on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to intensive care for three days. I didn't wake up for two days. Um, it was helped to breathe. And I remember when I did wake up, there was a guy across the ward from me in ICU that uh, tried to commit suicide. Same age as me, tried to commit suicide, and he drove his car into a wall. Need permanent brain damage, and uh, that was kind of a real eye opener. That's how close I was. No, I, when I when I woke up, I didn't really care. Didn't really want to be alive. I wasn't happy that I was alive. Um, obviously I am now, but it took me a long time when I woke up didn't really care like I wasn't bothered
2: so that wasn't even a turning point
8: Um, sorry
2: that wasn't really a turning point for, for no
8: you. no no not at all um, not even close really to be honest um, this was just uh, I, I no, not obviously no like it's amazing that my friends did that for me but at the time I didn't see it um, because I still nothing had changed like I still wanted to, to die like there was nothing had changed in them few days
2: and how how did your family and your friends react to to that news that here here someone they they loved was trying to trying to take trying to take his own life?
8: Um, yeah, they were obviously very shocked. Sure. Like at this, they they would have known a small this was because they, they would have known it was on some form of medication, but I still wouldn't have told them how bad it was. I was ever suicidal or. Um, they, they certainly would know not. So It was a huge shock to them. Um, obviously, very upsetting for my for my brother and sister and my father um, and my friends. Obviously, they were. This was they felt. I suppose that they should be doing something, even though they couldn't because I wasn't telling them or I wasn't allowing them to see. Um, but it was very distressing. From the same way as if a friend of mine did, I'm sure he'd be you know distressed or heartbroken.
2: So do, do you know then what was the moment uh, of the journey to recovery and when did that journey to recovery begin?
8: Um, probably when I was, there's a, I was going to Middleton Hospital every second week I wasn't working and just went to see a psychiatrist and I just hated it I hated going in there I hated taking the tablets I hated going to the waiting room I hated going into a mental hospital or an outpatient hospital um, I just hated everything about it, and I said, "If we don't do something, this is going to be me in twenty years, I'm going to be highly medicated, won't be able to work." Um, so I just stopped taking tablets. I just stopped. I just rang the Midland Hospital, who are, I think the HSC, and just told them I wouldn't be coming anymore. And I said, "Fine." And from there, I just stopped taking tablets. Um, a very good friend of mine got me into exercise. He started dragging me out. <laughs> with him in the evenings, just walking dogs or doing something just to get me out of the house, because I wasn't leaving the house. Um, and that was just the start. And I started to talk a bit more then, as I'd meet um, this friend knowing mine. He's a small bit older than me. And he would just drag words out of me. So I started talking a bit more. Um, I tried counselling. took me four or five different counsellors before I found one. that I kind of half thought was okay. They hated us. I didn't want to talk. Um, and that was kind of the start. Basically, the more I started talking, um, and opening up to people, to friends, because well, I was not surprised that, but they would do anything for me, and that I could ring them at any time of the night and tell them anything, tell them what I was feeling. Whereas I never felt, I never thought that before, um, because again, I'd never experienced it. Um, I'd never seen it. Again, like you're kind of a young fella in his 20s, we don't talk about our feelings, we don't tell people we're sad or we're crying, or, especially when i had no real reason to, in my head anyway, no logical reason.
2: I think we're getting, uh, schools I think are getting better at it.
8: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I was at an event um, run by Clean O'Hanlon, who is doing great work at moment. She ran an event for Pieda House in the Riverley Hotel, Two weeks ago, and I was at it, and I met a guy called Graham who who's on nationwide, and he's starting to speak in schools. He's a kind of a, you know, a different background to me, different story, but same message, I suppose. He's been through probably a lot worse than what I have, but he's starting to go around and speak to schools and stuff, and I think that's hugely important because it's, gr- it's like young people should know, her, girls, that it's okay not to feel okay, happy, exactly. Yeah, it's
2: not okay, okay not to, to feel,
8: be okay. Like I still have bad days, but. Well, of course you do. Like some days, you wake up with a pain in your back. You don't beat yourself up over it. You're going to have bad days in your head too. But you just learn how to manage it or talk to someone. And um, whereas if 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 I knew what this was in school, like it could certainly help. If there was a wellness class or a, anything where you could just talk, because that wasn't. This is was like ten years ago. I did my Leaving Cert, so not that long ago. But it's great yeah. to see things changing. It's brilliant. Well,
2: but I mean, it's, it's like if, if you went out in the morning and you broke your arm or broke your leg, you put a plaster of Paris on it and people would say, oh, she got help you. Are you all right? You broke your leg. But w- what is it about when we have mental health issues that we can't talk about? it?
8: Exactly. And I think girls are probably a lot better than it, but mm. guys still aren't. And it's like everyone's going to the gym and have personal trainers but you tell someone you're going to counseling they think there's something wrong with you I
2: know I know, um, and we shouldn't we shouldn't no, just, and how would you describe your mental health now
8: I'm very very good. Um, good like I still have bad days but I work on it so I try not to drink as much as I used to um, I exercise I try to get out in the fresh air I'm very selective at who I hang around with who I listen to Um I met a guy yesterday in Cork who's, um, who'll be well known around the Cork kind of scene for a lot of things he's doing. And I'd never met him before, but we had been chatting. And we sat down and met in Cork coffee shop for an hour and just chatted about like mental health and well being. And like, that's, that's, and he's similar age to me. Like, that's things changing.
2: That's, uh, so um, positive. Instead
8: it's... of sitting down talking about soccer or, yeah. you know, rubbish, we, were, we sat down and spoke about,
2: our oh, mental health, speedy.
8: yeah, exactly. How fantastic! Which is normal. Like, so, your
2: your your message to anyone, Ross, listening today, who's identifying with your story, battling depression, battling anxiety. What 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 what's your message to them today?
8: Well, first of all, I think it's okay. It's normal. You'd be surprised how many people suffer with it. You're not the only one. You don't need a reason. You don't have to have. Like you can look at someone else and say, sure, they should, you know, they have a lot worse than it. But that's irrelevant to you because what's in your own head is real. Um, so, first of all, it's okay, and it's very normal. Secondly, talk to someone, to anybody. Um, You'll be amazed at how much people will help you or want to help you, especially. If you don't want to talk to a friend or family, you've amazing places like Pieta House. Um, there, there, there's just so many incredible people. That's what I found help you like if I had trouble on the morning I could ring so many people whether it be family friends um, people I've met through this journey um, and there's always someone there to help there's nobody will turn their back on you they just mm. won't
3: yeah,
2: because you're, you're a much loved son, brother, n- nephew, friend. There's so many people out there uh, who care for you and that's the important thing and, and it's to know that. But when you're in that dark hole and that dark place, it's, it's unfortunately very hard to see that. Uh, there's a number of people uh, reacting to your story, Ross. One listener says, oh my God, I'm sitting in the car parked outside Dunn's doors and I'm in bits listening to this poor boy and what he's been through. I just want to say to him, fair play. He's an inspiration to anyone suffering from depression who is listening to this this morning. If I met him in person I would love to shake his hand well done uh, Ross and uh, another one says the poor boy on your show he's so honest in opening up about depression he would be a great asset to people uh, helping them the courage that he has to uh, speak out someone else says well done to Ross what an amazing story he's sharing with us this morning if only more people uh, would share stories like this. Somebody else says that boy that boy his Ross Williams is his name that boy with depression should write a book have you considered writing your story Ross
8: um, no the, the article knows kind of as far as I've gone but I, I'd like to a bit more even speak about it or talk to people about it or yeah, anything. and just a few, few too like I love to be called a boy I feel I'm not a boy
2: anymore <laughs> well, you're all getting well you're, you're you're under 30 hang on to yeah. the boy bit for another while well, well, um,
8: it, they say a poor boy I actually feel lucky yeah. to be honest I feel very lucky because I'm going to start to figure out my life now at 29. Yeah. Whereas some people go through their life and they'll never figure it out. You know, th- people may live with this for 50, 60 years and never talk to anyone about it. So I'm actually lucky, to be honest, I think, um, in that I've, I've figured out my life, but I'm definitely on the right track. And I'm, It's a
2: great way to look at it. It's a great uh, way. I, yeah, and are, a, and are, you, are you working?
8: Yeah, yeah, i work yeah. working full-time. My team work there at the moment.
2: Oh, yeah, OK. But, um, someone else which, uh, has suggested, would Ross ever consider going into counselling? What an amazing counsellor he would make.
8: Yeah, like, obviously I'm not qualified. And there's loads of good counsellors, but, like, I do, anyone that would ever messaged me would talk to him, but, again, I'd always uh, talk to a counsellor, but maybe.
2: It's, would you, try, yeah?
8: Some, um, It's I am looking to do, like, cause I could, this, obviously this story came out in January 2017, and I got a lot of messages, and then, obviously, it just fades away, and, I suppose it was at that event, there was at a line for Pierre House that Clino Hanlon ran. That, that's when I saw so many young people. Uh, there was panels like speaking about mental health and stuff. And it was like, you know, it's great, actually. When you see someone, when I see someone talk about it, that's what inspires me then, mm. because I'll always get something off it. Um, and that's kind of what kind of prompted me to do it again. So I'm, I'd like to do some charity work, whether it be with, like, Mental Health Awareness or Mental Health Ireland or a uh, piano host or something, maybe not counselling, but just, ending basically. Well um. you,
2: you have a great story to tell and you're very articulate you tell it very well so continued good health uh, to you um, and I can see lots of texts coming in, they're all calling you a boy, sorry about that. <laughs> tell that boy he'd make a fantastic uh, counsellor, what an amazing story somebody else says, hi Patricia what a fantastic brave young, young fella uh, to tell his story, I suffer from depression myself many many times it's such a dark place to be in well done Ross, thank goodness you've come out of the dark Long may you stay in the light. Ross Williams from Middleton, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and I know we will speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that. Thanks very and, much for and, having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate you talking to us. God bless. And look after yourself. Oh, well, Take very care. Bye bye. What a lovely young man, Ross um, Williams from uh, Middleton. And it is a powerful, powerful uh, story. And we are indebted to him for telling his story.
6: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: We're going to Malogard, the station where I'm joined uh, by Sergeant uh, Tony Cronin. Good afternoon to you, Tony. Good morning. And uh, thank you for joining yes. us. Uh, now, we have, on our grandfather this week, we've got a theft from a car.
7: That's right, uh, Patricia. We'll start with a theft from a car which occurred last Saturday. And it occurred in Harrison's Place area of Charitable. Now, it happened as between 20 to 6 and 10 to 6 uh, p.m. So there's a 10-minute window where the car was broken into and uh, there was a handbag, a Tommy Hilfiger handbag was taken from this car. So the the window was smashed. Basically, someone was watching or in the vicinity, saw the person getting out of the car, and they actually came back to the car within 10 minutes and uh, the window was broken and the handbag was taken. So we're looking for anyone that can assist um, the Gardaí in charge with this investigation. There was a Sky Blue um, Astra a, in the vicinity uh, at the time, so we'd be looking for anyone. If you have any information, to contact Charitable Garda Station, or if you're aware that there was another suspicious vehicle in the area, please contact Garda and
2: the. And t- the the time and the date once again.
7: It's last Saturday. It's the um, tenth uh, of November. Okay. And it it happened in the evening time, where it was uh, just getting dark. We'll say at twenty to six.
2: Okay.
8: Uh,
7: there was a ten minute window when the car was parked up, and next thing to it. God. The window was uh, smashed and the handbag was taken as, from
2: it. As we know, unfortunately, from reporting on these before, it can, can be all over in seconds. They can get in and get out yes. once they stop the bag.
7: crime, 10-15 yeah. seconds and they've left the area. Sorry.
2: Shocking, shocking. Okay, and unfortunately, there's been a number of burglaries, I believe six in total.
7: Yes, um, to begin with, um, last uh, Sunday afternoon on the 11th uh, of November, we had uh, a burglary in Annabella Court in Mallow. Uh, it happened in the afternoon between 2pm and 10pm, and the house, we we'll say, was ransacked, so we're asking anyone in the vicinity of Annabella Court, we're talking 2pm to 10pm last Sunday, it might trigger something which you, that you saw someone hanging around um, this area or this particular house, or there was someone acting suspicious, be it on a bicycle or a car, or just watching people coming and going from houses. So it's a residential area in Mallow, and we'd ask you, please, just to jog your memory. You might think of something where there was someone that you can remember uh, or identify or a vehicle, and the Gardaí in Mallow would be nice to get a call on this if if you could assist in any way. And again, it's last Sunday afternoon between 2 p.m. and 10 p.m. Then we move on to our next uh, burglary, and this happened again on Sunday evening. And this happened in the Newtown area of Donrail which is about two miles outside Donrail on the um, Skehanna Road. And it's uh, an outside um, a farm area and there's a dwelling house which was entered by the back door. And uh, small items were taken from this uh, particular house. Now, this, is, um, this house is uh, situated on the roadside so someone would have to enter from the front uh, alongside the, the road. And if there's a vehicle would have to park on the roadside there was no access to get in around the house so we'd ask anyone again please to think back in the Donrill area heading for Skihan on that road between Sunday evening uh, between half past 5 and 10pm if you just um, think did you see anything or note any car or bike or van in that area or anyone acting suspicious please uh, contact the, the Gardaí in Donrill or Mello so that um they can properly investigate this crime.
2: Okay, that was uh, bo- and that was again last Sunday, the 11th? Yes. We, okay.
7: uh, we did not uh, move on, Patricia, to Lyscarrel, where last Monday night into Tuesday morning, that's the, the 12th of November into the 13th, uh, sometime after 9pm on the Monday night, where um, a property was broken into, uh, from the rear, uh, there was a garage and there was items taken which would will be used for resale, and these would be um, alloys which were possibly used for drifting cars, which uh, would be um, relatively expensive items. So if you are offered uh, alloys of any description, we please ask you to um, contact the Gardaí in Lyscarrel or in Charleville uh, or or your local Garda station, and just to inform them um, who is offering these items for sale or indeed if you're in the Lyscarrel area last Monday night and you heard anything or you saw any vehicle, It happened overnight, so people would have to have had uh, transport to get to and from uh, the area. So please think back to last Monday night, that's the the 12th of November, anytime after 9pm into the early hours of the morning. And if you have any information, please contact your local guard station. Our next uh, burglary then, uh, Patricia, is occurred on Tuesday afternoon in uh, Kurok in uh, Kentork. This would be If you're heading, let's say, out of Cantor for the new market direction and you turn up to your right-hand side, opposite the filling station, that general area there. It's a residential area and um, the house was entered again by the back door. Uh, It was forced open and uh, rooms were ransacked. And uh, um, some items were taken from the um, house, which would be used, let's say, for consumption themselves, alcohol, etc. But there'd also be some items that might be um, put for sale. So if you're offered any items household items uh, for sale uh, we'd ask you please contact your local guard station because um, these uh, items are obviously the property of the occupants of the house and of, um, of value to them so if you can think back again please to last uh, Tuesday afternoon it was between half one and uh, three o'clock so you've one and a half hours of a time frame in Curoc in Kentork. did you notice anything suspicious or did you see any vehicles? please contact uh, the Guardian in Kentork as well for that. Our next burglary, then, uh, Patricia, is occurred in Drummahan, and this was last Tuesday night, the 13th of November, into the 14th. Uh, It was a building uh, that was under construction. Uh, A window was broken and entry was gained into the house. Um, Now, on this particular um, occasion, it was a little bit different in that the lead was actually taken off of this house, which was under construction. So, lead is quite expensive. So, it will uh, come for sale in the building trade and you might be offered um, a sizable quantity of lead at a knockdown price. So, if you are, please contact... That should raise
2: raise alarm bells. And and then the sixth and final burglary?
7: The sixth and final one, this was a construction site again. It was um, out in um, the links in Ballyellis and Mallow local here to us and it happened on the last Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Where um, the site was broken into, and uh, they actually took two new radiators, yeah. and packaging from other items was removed also, but uh, wasn't disturbed, so they probably intended to come back uh, to this area again so what we're looking at here is um two new radiators they will come on sale they might someone might be calling to houses there people doing up um you know your own house or uh, it could be a housing estate and we'd ask that if you are offered any household items that are new, you don't get a receipt, you've no warranty, please contact your local guard station no matter where you are.
2: Okay, and you want to offer words of advice to people who are definitely in the lead up to Christmas. The Christmas ads are already well starting to uh, appear. Different safety operations uh, in place with regards to to driving, to drink driving, to driving on your phones, to speeding. And actually I saw uh, a piece in the paper today on the number of people caught while driving on their mobile phones. Staggering number of people have have been caught. The stupidity of using your mobile phone while driving.
7: Yes, um, just to notify the public that they are aware that we do have national campaigns running, and there are seatbelt campaigns, um, mobile phone detection, speeding, um, drink driving detections. So there will be a lot more of these, um, we'll say, uh, checkpoints and uh, detection areas, we'll say, allocated over the next number of years for the Christmas period, and there will be a lot more uh, visibility of Guardian on the roads uh, so to try and make uh, the public more aware uh, of the dangers of speeding, uh, driving with alcohol, uh, driving without your safety belt and driving while on your mobile phone.
2: Okay. You just uh, be, be careful out there on the roads, please. Okay, and very finally, you want to wish the, the best of luck to one of your own who's retired.
7: Garda Dan O'Sullivan, uh, he's uh, retired from Garda Chicana today after 40 years wow. of uh, service. So we'd just like to wish yes. himself and his wife Rina and his family the best of luck and health in the future. Okay,
2: and based at, he was based at Mallow Garda Station. He's
7: based with us in Mallow and Roads police team unit, yeah.
2: Okay, well the best the of luck. Best, yeah. best of luck to Dan and to his family. Thanks for that. Thanks very um, much. Uh, and we'll talk again. Uh, Sergeant Tony Cronin um, taking the call today at uh, Mallow Garda Station. Actually, when I was mentioning Christmas ads, I meant to make, give this a mention first thing this morning. The John Lewis Christmas ad is finally, finally, finally out today. And I have to say it was one of the first things I did this morning was to go online because I love the John Lewis Christmas ads They And they're, they're, they're the kind of ads... they. Some of them in the past has caused people going, oh, I don't know if I like this one. I think last year's one was better. And, you know, and then it's kind of uh, also, I always rather the John Lewis It's kind of an ad that grows on you because you get to see it so much and it always has a story to tell. And uh, th- this year's one we knew was to do with Elton John and it features Elton John and it's called The Boy and the Piano. Actually, Elton John features in the actual John Lewis Christmas ad but the ad is kind of is a reflection on Elton John's life and it's all around his very well-known song uh, Your Song. So it sort of, you know, starts off with him now as he is today uh, and then it's him sort of reflecting back on his life and it's like snapshots of his life back over the years while the song Your Song uh, is, provides the soundtrack uh, to it. So one of the first things I did this morning was watch the John Lewis ad because I knew it was going live uh, today and lo and behold as I was watching it isn't one of our own right bang in the middle of the ad. Molly Ward is a 23 year old from Mallow. She's daughter of Sylvia and Eddie Ward. She's a dancer based in London. She would have gone over to England as part of her theatrical career and in training uh, etc. She's actually home at the moment because she's performing and will be performing in the pantomime in the Everyman Palace which this year of course is uh, Cinderella. But here is Molly. She's in a scene where she's dancing it's the scene if you're looking out for it where Elton John is playing the piano and this gorgeous beautiful flaming redhead Irish girl and she's dancing with somebody in the scene and it is Molly Ward because it looks the first thing is that Molly? And it absolutely is so it is fantastic so congratulations to uh, Molly Ward and to her parents Sylvia and Eddie who must be very very proud to have their daughter featured in the John Lewis Christmas ad which officially went live today I, I know before I by the time I came on air this morning it had been viewed I think well over half a million times at, at that stage I'm assuming by the time I get off air that will have ran to absolute millions of views before it ever makes it on to the TV it, re- it really is John Lewis and Christmas and waiting for his Christmas ad is kind of almost like the start of Christmas for a lot of people 1850 jump John Paul takes your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. we're looking for your pet questions uh, by the way uh, because Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us live in studio so if you have a pet question uh, get those get get those into us, please, uh, by phone, by text, by WhatsApp, or email Patricia at c103.ie.
7: The C103 Cork Diary
6: with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
2: Abandon Garden Centre, they are hosting their annual Christmas fundraising event. It's on tonight and again tomorrow, 6pm to 10pm. There'll be mulled wine, mince pies, raffles, teas and displays for your home and business. Admission, €5 and the proceeds are going to Pieta House. Comedian Kevin McAleer appears in Bartlemy Parish Hall tonight at 8. Tickets from Spar in Rathgormack. Strictly Bandon, which is taking place over the weekend of November 23rd and 24th, and again on December 1st, it's the native Bandon Red Cross and the Bandon Playground uh, Group. This year, they have a seven-night, all-expenses-paid cruise for two people as a raffle prize. Tickets will be sold in Bandon town tomorrow, Friday, and again on Saturday. Raffle tickets are €5 each. Balti Daniel National School, they've got a table quiz. Albert Lynch's Bar in Mallow. Uh, tonight at uh, 9 tables of 4 please €40 the Irish Blood Transfusion Service Board they've got a blood donor clinic in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry that's uh, this afternoon 3 to 5 and again tonight between 7 and 9. Kilmacabee Rowing Club are inviting people interested in rowing to their indoor training sessions every Thursday night. That includes tonight at half past 7 in Lep Village Hall. People of all ages and abilities and fitness levels are welcome. And McCroom Flower and Garden Club are holding a gala floral demonstration by Margaret Ahern. It's tonight in Coolcara House Hotel in McCroom. The theme for the evening is festive cheer. Proceeds from this evening will go to supporting EVA, Peter House and McCroom's senior citizens. Cork Today.
6: With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie
2: C103. Catch up with some of your comments on a whole variety of different issues that we've been discussing uh, today. Earlier on, I played a clip from Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, who attended the protest that was held in Cork City uh, yesterday. Uh, which was against what happened at the rape trial and the fact that uh, the teenage complainant, her underwear was described and used in court and that has caused a lot of fury, particularly amongst women. Well, here's a gentleman and his different sort of a slant and a different side to this story and obviously he says please do not write out my name which, which of course we won't. But I'm listening to all this talk about the underwear that was brought up in the court case on a sexual assault case and while I don't agree with this happening I still do not agree with protests going on to stop this being done in court. You also need to stop and think of the person that is accused in the wrong. And believe me, there's a lot of that going on. And one of those and it has taken me nearly 8 years to clear up my name and now every time i need guard the vetting it comes up and i have to start all over again and explain my case to the people that don't even know me even though i was cleared in court i know three other people in west cork and one elderly man living in cork city who were all cleared, but it's still with us. We need rights too. Not everyone is wrong. My heart goes out to those that have been raped it is a very fine line and there is a few there are a few in prison that were accused of wrong and didn't actually uh, do it and i think i think even all of the women that would have turned up yesterday to protest uh, both in cork and there was a protest in dublin there was a protest in galway as well i mean none of them would ever want to see somebody wrongly accused uh, in court and it is awful it is um, as bad as somebody being found guilty of rape, as somebody being brought in to a case who wrongly accused of uh, rape. It's, it's just it's a horrible, horrible thing uh, to happen. And shame on any female that would wrongly, deliberately wrongly accuse uh, someone. Now, I don't know when you mean about the fine line. There is a fine line on consent. And I think that's the issue that certainly the women who were out protesting yesterday are are trying to get across, you know, no means no and yes means yes. And the way somebody dresses or somebody's underwear does not mean consent. I mean, that's, I think, the message they were trying to get across. But listen, my heart goes out to you. It's an awful place to be if you've been wrongly accused and, and you know, and awful that you now have to live with that for the rest of uh, your life. Thank you for your text to 0862 103, 103. Mary says, Patricia, it doesn't matter what women wear, when you go out, it doesn't give any man the right to rape a woman. Respect goes a long away. OK, that's some of your WhatsApp into us. I can see some pet questions coming in. Keep those coming, please. We'll be going to Jane in a couple of minutes. Still getting a massive reaction to young Ross Williams. Telling his story of depression, anxiety and luckily his failed a suicide attempt. What a powerful story he has to tell. And I can see a couple of texts in from people were saying, like including one to say, so anyway, I can contact Ross, please. I have a son suffering with 20 years and I can't seem to find any solution to it. And for families that are watching a loved one battle depression, battle anxiety and battle suicidal thoughts that's, that's not an easy journey at all we have been in contact with uh, Ross and he is willing to now obviously we're not going to pass his number out over the airway so anyone who has texted us in we will be in contact with you uh, just give us a chance it may be this afternoon before we make contact but anybody who is looking for Ross's number he is willing to uh, talk to people he's a great, great guy he really is, he is as a lot of people are saying truly inspirational he should be out there sharing his story to, with so many other people someone by text says good morning I've got five boys and although we have a great relationship it's open and we're well able to talk it is my big worry uh, depression or that they would you know come under that dark dark veil of depression. So many go on to take their own life and you'll hear afterwards I never saw the signs. He or she was the last person I thought would take their own lives. Uh, listen to Ross today. He really should be giving talks in schools, giving talks to GAA uh, groups, giving talks uh, to football clubs, uh, schools, anyone really, anywhere where young people gather, that's where he should be in an, ed- in an effort to educate in the early years on mental health issues. Yeah, And he would, wouldn't he be excellent At it, and I know it's something. Because one of the reasons, you know, he even contacted us to say, "Look, I want to get out there again. I want to share the story." Is because he wants to touch people's lives. He wants to help people, and he would be terrific at it. He would absolutely be uh, terrific at it. So thank you to, as I say, a number of people whose lives have been touched, and a number of people blown away uh, by young Ross as he as he was telling his uh, story. Their pet questions. Thank you for that. Somebody said, "Did Johnny Hannon get the drug?" I just turned on the radio earlier and I caught the. The end of his interview he's a great man he did we celebrated with him and we were the first to be able to break the story and delighted we were to be able to break that good news they got notified yesterday from the HSC that the HSC has uh, finished its negotiations with C- CSL Bering which is the drug company that made the drug and they've agreed a price and that Johnny and the others who've been on the clinical trial now for over 10 years, they will remain on it. They're still, for Johnny it's, and the other patients, it's fantastic news. Um, they, you, you still think of the others who have been diagnosed since with Alpha 1 and those that will be diagnosed with Alpha 1 going forward, they're not so lucky but that battle will continue. But for our Johnny, that's who we've been flying the flag for for, for the last uh, since he went on it in well 2016 was when we celebrated when we realised this drug was going to work for the last two and a half years I think the battle has uh, the, when, when we thought he was going to lose uh, the wonder drug so that certainly is fantastic news absolutely fantastic news for uh, Johnny and to John Paul some calls that came in to John Paul today Una was on earlier to say Ard Cahan which is near Dunmanway is flooded after just one night's rain this needs to be highlighted said Una our family is suffering again this year as again our land is flooded today it's a disgrace and the County Council have done nothing about this Ard Cahana Bridge was totally flooded two nights ago and this will be one of the main connections heading from Dunmanway to uh, Macroom now that's coming from John Paul so I'm assuming we're on to Cork County Council to find out what is happening and what can be done and what needs to be done to rectify uh, flooding in that particular area and Alfie in Clonakilty was on Alfie wanted to react to a couple of pieces that we did yesterday about traffic congestion in Clonakilty, and then got kicked off by former town councillor hum Humphrey Deegan, who was spitting fire when he joined me on the program yesterday because he He got caught on the bypass for nearly a half an hour yesterday morning That to other people saying I was in that traffic jam with Humphrey it was quite uh, disgraceful and it's to do with the flood relief works that are going on at the moment. Well Alfie and Clon has a different take on it and Alfie says the works going on in Clonacilty are for the benefit of everybody living and working in Clonacilty. I heard people yesterday giving out that they were stuck in uh, traffic and they got delayed and had to wait. If it's disrupting that man, that man was Humphrey Deegan or anybody else that joined you on your programme, yesterday, then maybe they should leave earlier in the morning. The other issue is businesses are suffering because of the work but a lot of this is down to motorists driving into the yellow box and bluff Blocking up traffic from all angles. People need to know the rules of the road, respect the rules of the road. That blocking up of yellow boxes is not just a Clonakilty issue. I think that happens everywhere, and it's frustrating for those of us who respect the yellow box, and, and but it's uh, for others who just don't want to get wherever they're trying to get to as uh, quickly as possible. So Alfie in Clonakilty, uh, basically saying to people, you need to suck it up. This work has been done for the benefit of all. And that's uh, so you just have to get on uh, with it. Okay, and one very final one Uh, this is on raccoons remember we were talking about the raccoons in mid Cork and how they'd been spotted and we had John Dolan the journalist on with us and we had Vincent Cashman from the CSPCA on and we were doing a piece about it and the day we were doing it during the week whatever day uh, it was this week we were talking about the raccoons we mentioned it was on Tuesday we mentioned that on Tuesday morning we got the news that one, one raccoon had been captured so we were saying okay, that's one we don't know how many raccoons are out there And that then led to a flurry of calls yesterday from people saying, what happened to the raccoon that was captured? Uh, And I said, I don't know. And there was rumours about the raccoon and we got asked, could we find out what happened to the raccoon? So we got on to the National Wildlife uh, Service to find out what happened to the raccoon. And I've just heard back from the Department of... Of culture, heritage, and the GaelTalks, the who are uh, we're looking after our media query to say raccoons are an invasive species in Ireland. We have an obligation under EU law to urgently detect and eradicate alien invasion species. Raccoons are on the invasive species of high concern list. The National Parks and Wildlife Services staff are obliged to act promptly on reported sightings of such species. The animal in question was disposed of humanely. So the raccoon was put to sleep, basically, that's what happened. Because some people were of the belief that it would be neutered and returned to the wild and then would live out its days. And the fact it was neutered, it wouldn't be able to procreate and eventually if we could catch all of the wild raccoons there can't be that many, I don't know how many there are. That's what some people thought was going, was going to be done, but no, it was disposed of humanely. Put to sleep, the raccoon is no more. Well, certainly that one. We don't know how many more are in the mid Cork area. 1850 Let's take a break though and come back and have your Pet questions answered with Jane. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining us in studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you're very welcome. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking calls with any pet questions. Please text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Straight in with Sheila in Aherla. I have a one-year-old Shih Tzu who's eating his poo. Why is he doing this and how can I stop him?
1: Oh, this is a difficult one. So it could just be habit. It could just be that he's found this exciting thing that he wants to eat because it smells nice. But I think the most common thing that people say to me, oh, he's eating his poo. Is he lacking in something?
2: Everyone seems Everyone to think that's always, the reason. Everyone
1: always wonders about that. Now, it is possible, but it's very unlikely. Now, sometimes dogs can eat weird things like stones and their own poo if they are lacking in something. But if they're otherwise well in themselves, um, it's probably just habit. Now, you can get get products to kind of crack the habit a little bit so there is a a product that you can add to his food that's very safe but it can make his poo taste very very nasty so that he won't go and want to eat it afterwards but if you do notice any other problems with your pet if he is ill in any other way and you think he might be lacking in something pop him along to your vet just for a health check to be safe but i say it's probably nothing to be worried about and what's the product? I think the one, that, the one that I'm familiar with is called Copronil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can get most, that from veterinary Practice or a pet vet, store. Exactly. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. There is a question that came in early um, and with congratulations on my anniversary. Thank you for that. Uh, Kay, uh, thank you Kay. Uh, my five-year-old neutered golden retriever has ongoing ear infections and despite many trips and many antibiotics from the vet the problem persists. The most recent treatment has been Orshornea with Mm -hmm. ear gel very expensive Mm -hmm. uh, but it only worked for a short time many thanks I would appreciate any advice from your resident vet Jane please
1: yeah, ear disease can be a real challenge sometimes. Now, in a in golden the, in retriever, in a golden retriever as well. If it's dragging on for many months, it, it, I understand it can be massively frustrating for you as as the pet owner because you, nobody wants to see them distressed, itching, scratching, and it's very it's frustrating. Painful, and yeah, it could be a big financial undertaking as well with all of the treatments. But I think, at the end of it, if we all had a sore ear, our, our ears would be very sore and itchy, and we we just want some relief. I think you're doing exactly the right thing going along and taking them to your vet, getting repeat assessment, and that's really important in any case of ear disease. The most re- recent treatment you've had, the Osirnia, is great. Um, it I suppose the real draw of that is it, it's put down to the ear by the vet over a course of, of a few weeks, and it doesn't require a home management. Um, I think if you're really struggling with the ears and it only worked for a little short while, if it hasn't been done already, it might be worth getting some swabs taken from the ear so that we can find out exactly what bacteria is living down there and exactly what antibiotics it might be sensitive to. But I'm sure Your Vet will have possibly discussed that with you already. But that will probably be my next protocol um so that you can kind of select some targeted treatment. Um I think it is really important to consider the ears in the context of the rest of the skin as well. So sometimes dogs can have a general itchy skin or an allergy all over their body, but they'll manifest most with an itchiness in their ears. So Entertaining whether he has a possibility of an allergy to food or something in the environment mm. that might be setting off that problem in the ears, as well as everything else. But Some dogs more hard. prone than others, yeah. Sometimes, uh, the dogs that have kind of the flapping down ears rather than the standing up ears, yeah. Um, you think of cock
2: spaniels yeah, and those kind of any of the they spaniels they tend to have problems, yeah.
1: they really, really do. And any dogs that have particularly hairy ears, sometimes, um can have some issues but really any dog can be susceptible
2: Yeah Yeah, it's an an awful thing to it's the pain of it I think more than anything Um, Texas says Patricia I have three dogs a Golden Retriever a Mixed Terrier and a Jack Russell There's a nice little mix Uh, The Jack Russell is a rescue dog with lots of issues He gets on great with the other two dogs until some visitors arrive and as soon as somebody strange visitor comes into the house, he starts attacking the retriever who then behind hides behind us crying. He won't do it to the other dog, the terrier, makes because she fought with him for top dog and won. Mm-hmm. The retriever lost his place as top dog. What can I do to stop the Jack Russell challenging the retriever, but only when visitors call? It's the only time it happens. The retriever is the oldest dog in the house and is a big baby, but ends up hiding behind us and crying. Oh, oh God. Poor little
1: fella. Yeah. Um, This is a difficult one. It's very interesting that it's only happening when the visitor arrives. That's a very odd pattern. It's like showing off. Yeah, showing off a little bit perhaps. I I would wonder maybe if some of it's kind of uh, misplaced aggression towards the dog when really they want to protect the owner. So they're kind of staking their territory as I'm the big Jack Russell Terrier and I'm minding my owner. And it's just a bit of a misplaced display of aggression. That's a possibility as well it's a difficult one to tackle and I think we just need to keep everybody safe in the situation as well as your Labrador is a little bit bigger I suspect he'll be able to fight his corner a little bit as well but I think just making sure they're all safe and have somewhere to retreat to if they want to I think if you are anticipating visitors coming around the best way to break the habit or at least limit The impact it has on the family is avoidance so if you know that there's going to be a visitor coming around maybe think about separating the dogs in advance of that so that you avoid that kind of wind up of those emotions if you can't separate them, then maybe some distraction if you can. So maybe a toy or a chew, as long as they won't fight over it between themselves, can be a great distraction because maybe we won't want to show off as much if we have this nice chewy toy that we can play with instead. Mm. Um,
2: so, and, just, and Jack Russell's have a tendency to think they're cock of the walk, they don't they? I think they're huge. And, and the I mean, the, 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 the terrier has already fought and won, so the terrier's the top yeah. dog. So it does look like the Jack Russell is trying to. Bully almost
1: exactly the, the older
2: and it's the older dog it's the retriever is the mm. oldest dog in the house and that's mm. the one he's picking on.
1: It is a difficult one. I think another question is 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 our Jack Russell uh, a male? Is another question. If he is a male, it might be worth. Talking to your vet and discussing in the scheme of the situation, if he's not castrated, would it be worth castrating him? Sometimes it doesn't necessarily change their personality. It might not assist the problem, but sometimes it can lower that kind of drive to display the want to be a top dog because it can reduce the testosterone mm. levels. Just a get little that bit. checked. So that might be something to Yeah, even though
2: in. as a rescue dog, you, you assume most rescue dogs are, are neutered, mostly, but exactly. it's still mostly worth checking. Um, Pat in Ballyhay, I have two Bichon freeze crosses. Uh, three years old a male and a female their brother and sister uh, but they're very good to go to the toilet on the mat puppy training tray all the time mm-hmm. uh, but now, oh, they were very good now they won't touch the mat they won't go near it why is this happening so oh, they were sudden... toilet trained and then they suddenly stopped
1: that's a bit of an interesting one and I I wonder if they're going out to pee and poo at all or they, do they have access to a garden perhaps we don't maybe we're living in kind of a more restricted not attached to a garden situation and maybe they're trained to the puppy pads Um, it's a difficult one if they're growing up and they're kind of trained to go on the same puppy pad maybe offering them two sets so two toilet options might be better I know it'll take up space in the house um but sometimes maybe if their if their urine is smelling a bit more than usual or Mm. if they're feeling their independence they might not want to pee in the same place as their friend so maybe giving them two toilet options in that case i think really the best thing to do would be uh, kind of for sanitary reasons if you can take them outside of the house to pee and poo that will probably be the easiest because then the territory is marked outside and they have more space to kind of run around and decide where their perfect spot is um a really important thing as well is if they start peeing and pooing off of the puppy pads, they'll scent the rest of the house. So you need to be really fastidious with your cleaning of the accidents that happen outside of, of the puppy pads. their sense of smell is so much more heightened, yeah, isn't it, Exactly. As well? So if they've done an accident off of where you want to do it, you need to be really, really good at cleaning it to get rid of all of those smells because they'll think that's their spot Yeah
2: they'll be back again Monica in Mill Street my collie dog four year old neutered male gone off eating dry nuts eating all other foods fine but suddenly doesn't want to entertain the nuts anymore Uh, why we haven't changed brand or anything why would she suddenly go off Mm. the nuts if
1: she's, if she's suddenly gone off the nuts sometimes we find that maybe dogs if the recipe has changed slightly but the packaging might not have it could just be between bag to bag but if it is literally from day to day that things have stopped i would wonder if there's something wrong if there's any kind of source of pain she says that she's eating all of the other food fine and that's really encouraging i'm glad that we're still eating and nibbling away at some other food but i wonder is are the nuts the only hard foods that, that that dog is on if that's the case it might be that it might just be more difficult to chew the nuts for one reason or another all of a sudden. So is there any kind of source of tooth pain or a toothache or a problem in the mouth mm. that will be causing it to be a little bit more painful and hence they don't really want to eat the nuts. They'll be much more happier to eat the softer food they're offered. So I would wonder, first of all, is there is there a physical reason that things are changing a little bit? So I think if you're in any doubt of that, pop to your vet, get them to check out the mouth and have a little look to see if there's any source of problems there but if if there is some hard food that they will eat perhaps it's just a change in preference for one reason or another as long as your dog is well in himself and is happy Sometimes they can just be really picky. Yeah. Um, so maybe just try another type of hard nut. As long as they don't have any dietary intolerances, for example, um, just try another type and see if that goes down well. But I think it's worth checking out the teeth.
2: And the, yeah, the dental. And with well, a four-year-old dog, I mean, you assume the dental problems are going to be older dogs. Mm. It's, but but can it can dental it problems can. start at a
1: younger age? You'd be surprised. Yeah. It really can. Some breeds are a lot more prone to it than others. Um, some breeds get loads of kind of tartar and plaque build up. You can um, see it when you, you look can at the teeth, can't exactly. you? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but some it would really surprise you; they will, will have very little tartar and plaque build up over the course of their lives. And generally, dogs that are fel- fed on a hard food diet, so a nut based diet, tend to have better teeth in the long term because it mm. kind of just abrades the plaque off a little bit um, I think the number one thing you can do to aid the dental health long term and keep the teeth really good is toothbrushing which sounds ridiculous but they actually tolerate it really well
2: but you have to start it young you anybody yeah. you listening with a puppy get in there with get brushing there the teeth do it straight away Yeah,
1: my one bit of advice on toothbrushing would be generally any toothbrush is fine yeah. But the important thing is use a doggy toothpaste. Yeah. Not not, there, not not our own. Exactly, not human ones. They don't like the taste of mint or anything like that. The doggy ones are like chicken and beef flavoured, things that they'll really like and won't resent, whereas they hate the taste of mint
2: brushing your teeth with chicken flavoured toothpaste. I know, a okay. strange idea. As we head into lunch, we will leave it there. Thank you for that. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary uh, Hospital part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Talking of lunch, can I say thank you to Papa John's in the Mallow uh, Plaza on the Limogrodia Mallow. They've just dropped us out pizzas and super subs for our lunch. Uh, thank you. Much, much appreciated. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul uh, McNamara for producing. Nick Richards, Is with you for the afternoon, and we're back with you tomorrow at 10.
6: Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie.
1: C103.